Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Saturday of the 12th week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that we may always revere and love your holy name. For you never deprive of your guidance those you set firm on the foundation of your love. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of Lamentations. The Lord has pitilessly destroyed all the homes of Jacob. In his displeasure, he has shattered the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has thrown to the ground, he has left to curse the kingdom and its rulers. Mutely they sit on the ground, the elders of the daughter of Zion. They have put dust on their heads and wrapped themselves in sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang their heads down to the ground. My eyes wasted away with weeping, my entrails shuddered, my liver spilled on the ground, at the ruin of the daughters of my people, as children, mere infants, fainted in the squares of the citadel. They kept saying to their mothers, Where is the bread? As they fainted like wounded men in the squares of the city, as they poured out their souls on their mothers' breasts. How can I describe to you, to what compare you, daughter of Jerusalem? Who can rescue and comfort you, virgin daughter of Zion? For huge as the sea is your affliction, who can possibly cure you? The visions your prophets had on your behalf were delusive, tinsel things. They never pointed out your sin to ward off your exile. The visions they proffered you were false fallacious, misleading. Cry aloud then to the Lord, groan, daughter of Zion. Let your tears flow like a torrent, day and night. Give yourself no relief, grant your eyes no rest. Up, cry out in the night time, in the early hours of darkness. Pour your heart out like water before the Lord. Stretch out your hands to him for the lives of your children, who faint with hunger at the entrance to every street. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, forget not the life of your poor ones. 
Lord, forget not the life of your poor ones. Why, O God, have you cast us off forever? Why blaze with anger against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your people whom you chose long ago, the tribe you redeemed to be your own possession, the mountain of Zion where you have made your dwelling. Lord, forget not the life of your poor ones. Turn your steps to these places that are utterly ruined. The enemy has laid waste the whole of the sanctuary. Your foes have made uproar in your house of prayer. They have set up their emblems, their foreign emblems, high above the entrance to the sanctuary. Lord, forget not the life of your poor ones. Their axes have battered the wood of its doors. They have struck together with hatchet and pickaxe. O God, they have set your sanctuary on fire. They have erased and profaned the place where you dwell. Lord, forget not the life of your poor ones. Remember your covenant. Every cave in the land is a place where violence makes its home. Do not let the oppressed return disappointed. Let the poor and the needy bless your name. Lord, forget not the life of your poor ones. Alleluia, alleluia. He bore our sicknesses and endured our suffering. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus went into Capernaum, a centurion came up and pleaded with him, Sir, he said, my servant is lying at home paralysed and in great pain. I will come myself and cure him, said Jesus. The centurion replied, Sir, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Just give the word and my servant will be cured. For I am under authority myself and have soldiers under me. And I say to one man, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you solemnly, nowhere in Israel have I found faith like this. And I tell you that many will come from east and west to take their places with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom in heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be turned out into the dark, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go back then, you have believed, so let this be done for you. And the servant was cured at that moment. And going into Peter's house, Jesus found Peter's mother-in-law in bed with fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. That evening they brought him many who were possessed by devils. He cast out the spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfil the prophecy of Isaiah. He took our sicknesses away and carried our diseases for us. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A while ago, I mentioned that uh, when I started this podcast, I thought about calling it The Good Thief, um, mostly because, um, you know, much of what I say is um, actually stolen goods. But it turns out there was another podcast already called The Good Thief, so that was already taken. But, uh, but 
I do try and own up to my thievery every now and then, um, at least so you know where to steal your stuff from too. And what I'm stealing from today is a collection of meditations on the Gospel of Matthew called Fire of Mercy, Heart of the World. And it's it's written by a Trappist monk from the United States called Father Simeon. Um, his, his given name is Erasmo Leva Merikakis. It's a beautiful work. It's it's not just a scripture commentary. It's not just, you know, an autopsy on the Bible and, you know, that produces some dead facts. It's a, it re- They really are meditations and, uh, you know, a very helpful in inspiring faith and in, in bringing um, not only deeper knowledge of the scriptures, but bringing the scriptures to prayer. So, you know, I can only recommend it. But this is what he has to say about the gospel that we have today. Now, he points out, first of all, that there's kind of this knowing recognition between Jesus and the centurion. They kind of, they get each other's measure because although they come from such very different backgrounds, they actually share a lot in common because they're both men of authority You know, we've seen Jesus climb up the mountain of Beatitudes, there give the Sermon on the Mount, then have the people say, this bloke teaches with authority, unlike our scribes, and then now he's come down from the mountain. Clearly, Jesus has been recognized as one of great authority. But then so is the Roman centurion. He's one of great worldly power. You know, a centurion was up there in rank and in responsibility, and in power. And, you know, you see that the Roman centurion and Jesus, when they kind of lock eyes, there's sort of this this knowing glance between them. Because not only are they both men of authority, they're both men of great compassion. And we've seen Jesus' compassion on display throughout the Gospels, But this centurion, he he almost seems to buck the stereotype a little bit because he speaks about his servant who is paralyzed and who is in great pain. Now, Father Simeon, our Trappist monk, makes the point that, look, what's being described here of the servant is not just, you know, a guy lying motionless and paralyzed in bed, but a man who is terribly tortured. You can imagine him, you know, sort of twisting and contorting in pain and cramps. And so here's something interesting. The centurion, he goes himself. He doesn't send another servant to go fetch Jesus at his behest, even though he acknowledges like later on in the story that because he's a man in authority, when he says, go, people go, when he says, come, people come, no... He's actually the one who's taken the trouble to go out on behalf of his agonizing servant to go petition Jesus. So there's something interesting that he himself, being the man of compassion that he's revealed to be, is willing to go and find Jesus on behalf of his servant. Now, here's where I think the centurion and Jesus, they they kind of have this knowing moment between each other. He says, Sir, in Greek, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and in great pain. 
Full stop. He doesn't actually ask for anything. He comes before Jesus and in few words just tells him what the problem is. Here it is, Lord. This is what's going on. My servant is lying at home paralyzed and in great pain. And as far as the centurion's concerned, that's enough. All you need to do is tell him the problem. Don't tell him what you want. Don't tell him what the solution is. You've come to a man in authority. He knows his business. Just tell him the problem. And quick as a flash, Jesus says, Oh, well, I'll come myself. I'll come personally. I'll come to your home and cure him. Now, here's the thing. Would you turn down that offer? Jesus says, I'll come to your house. No worries. I mean, for starters, you're probably going to get a bit of extra cred having someone as popular as Jesus, certainly at this stage of his public ministry, someone as popular as Jesus coming round. But not only that, you'll get a ringside seat to Jesus healing your own servant. And that's pretty amazing. But, you know, if if Jesus doesn't get it right on the first crack, at least he's around. He can see that he's got to try something else or he's got to do something a little bit more. You know, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a safety blanket, isn't it? But take note, the centurion doesn't do that. He doesn't need Jesus visit home to puff up his ego or to give him bragging rights among his friends. And nor does he seem to think that there's a possibility that, that Jesus' miracle wouldn't work or that he had to come back for a second crack at it. And so, you know, the centurion just says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Just give the word and my servant will be cured. That's enough. My word counts. Because I'm in authority, when I say to one of my soldiers, do it, it gets done. Lord, you too are a man of authority. And your word is enough to get things done. This is a great profession of faith. He comes, puts the matter before Jesus, calls Jesus Lord and tells him that a word's enough from you, mate. And Jesus marvels. I haven't found this kind of faith among the people in Israel. I haven't found this kind of faith among the apostles. And the Gospel of Matthew finishes with that rather laconic conclusion to the story. And the servant was cured at that moment. We don't hear about the servant. We don't hear about his reaction. We don't hear about how it was that the miracle came about, all of that is kind of left in the background and left to your imagination to kind of picture and imagine what that must have really been like. But it seems, though, that here in the Gospel, the accent isn't placed so much on the miracle itself. But instead, it seems that the star of the show today is the centurion. And the thing that is put on display today is his faith. Now, these words of the centurion are very familiar. Of course, we say them at every Mass. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. The liturgy changes the word servant from the centurion into the word soul for us. But 
we need to come to the Lord with that same kind of recognition of Jesus' authority. It's like, look, Lord, I know you've got armies that back you up. And when you say march, they march. And when you say go, they go. So here's the problem, Lord. You deal with it however you wish. But this is what I'm coming to you with. He didn't ask anything for himself. He prayed particularly for his servant. You know, humble, simple, faithful prayer. And we started out by pointing out that Jesus and the centurion actually have so much in common with one another. Listen to these words from the letter to the Hebrews. This this comes from chapter 5. During his life on earth, he offered up prayer and entreaty, aloud and in silent tears, to the one who had the power to save him out of death. And he submitted so humbly that his prayer was heard. Well, those words, of course, are in reference to Christ, but those words also make me think of the centurion, to offer prayers aloud and in silent tears, to come before the Lord, acknowledging his might and placing before him the problems. We don't need to dictate the solutions. We just need to come with love and trust. I don't need any remarkable signs, Lord. I don't need any fanfare. I don't even need any recognition. Here's the problem, and I leave it in your hands. Just say the word, and that's enough. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you health of the sick. 
At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.